0: King of Kings, how are you tonight? Yeah, I know. I was part of that worship. I know what it feels like. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You know, we we just get spoiled, but we do want to say thank you so much to our worship team and uh, what a great time. They they lead us into the presence of the Lord. They inspire us to get ready uh, to hear the word. But tonight, I felt like we came into the room. We were ready to go. We didn't need a lot of help tonight. They did a great job, and it was fun to, to see us ready and them ready all at the same time. And, and boy, did it go deep. Praise the Lord. Well, you look great tonight. Grab your scriptures. We're going to dive in uh, tonight. And we're going to talk about Passover. So as you're finding your scriptures, look at Exodus 11. Let me just do a couple of greetings Because you know we're coming up on holiday season. Last week I wished you a happy new year. So those of you that are on God's timetable, you know what that's about, right? It was God's appointed new year. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes. So happy new year to the rest of you guys. And uh, Passover coming up this Friday night. So hopefully you have a place to eat a Seder meal. Raise your hand. Do you already have a place to eat a Seder meal? Okay. Okay. So if you do not have your hand up, you are free to turn to your neighbor and invite yourself. (laughs) That's how it works here in Israel. Just invite yourself, make friends. That's how we build community life together. Got some special people in the house tonight. First of all, I just want to welcome Pastor Jeff McNeely from House on the Rock in Amit, Louisiana. His wife, bless you, the family, the whole group is here. Thank you, guys. I know you're here to worship with us tonight, but then tomorrow you'll have a whole service day of projects you're helping us with. You're helping with the properties and with serving uh, the homeless tomorrow. Thank you, guys, for being part of that. You're starting early in the morning in the Summit Prayer Tower as well, so uh, blessings to you there. Uh, Also, we just want to welcome Luke Walters. Luke, welcome back, brother. We prayed for you. Great to see you healthy tonight. Bless you. Uh, And I noticed that there were... uh, uh, here's who's watching online tonight. So I'm glad you're in the house. Uh, you're the priority, of course, as you know, your heart is to serve the local body here uh, in the house. And then we have a lot of people watching online, but I wanted to mention this specifically tonight. Welcome everybody watching on Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, around the world from Brazil. Canada, Ecuador, Finland, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, Ireland, Israel, of course, Italy, Kenya, Malaysia, the Netherlands, Peru, the Philippines, Poland, Slovakia, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, Ukraine, praise the Lord, United Kingdom, the United States, but you know what I didn't see there? I didn't see Austria, it's because they're right here. (laughs) The Franklin family is here. Welcome guys, we bless you. Every week we get a chance to say they're they're watching from Austria, but tonight they're here in Jerusalem. Great to have you. They're also going to be participating with us in the immersion excursion on Wednesday. It's a big day Wednesday in the morning. If you're part of the immersion time, you're gonna meet in the lobby at 10 o'clock in the morning. We're gonna take a bus together. Then if you're if you're still here with us at 6:30 p.m on the same Wednesday night right here in the house. Now, let me say a word about that. We get a lot of questions, especially from those of you online. Will it be broadcasts? Sometimes we do the broadcast of the worship nights. Sometimes we do not. This particular worship night, we will not broadcast. I need to hear a collective, awe. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're here. (laughs) That was an online collective, awe, not in the house. In the house, you're here. If you're online, I'm sorry. There's two reasons. First of all, we just really needed to give our media team and the camera guys and the production guys a break. They just need a break. They service so much. But secondly, and equally important, from time to time, we just want to be together as a local community where we can flow in the gifts of the Spirit. We can bring words of the prophetic that we can wait on the Lord. We can intercede together because there are some people in our community who have to be sensitive to the cameras, okay? Israel... is a a country, sometimes you have to be sensitive to the cameras, and so this Wednesday night we are not broadcasting. Um, But for those of you that wanna be part of online, listen, go to Anchor of Hope. They got something going on Wednesday night as well online. They can do that, they can connect. But also, Saturday night, we're doing a special Passover teaching and walk through the Seder with Joanna and I are gonna be on together uh, Saturday night. So those of you watching online, plug in Saturday night, we'll give you more info. Okay, is that enough introductions? Everybody feels loved? Raise your hand if you don't feel loved. Okay, good. Amen. You know, this this weekend is such a celebratory week as we walk toward Passover. Friday at sundown, we kick off the Lel Seder, the first night of the Seder meal. There's lots of events, and then, of course, we are are celebrating even Palm Sunday, for those of you that are connecting with that today. And next Sunday, our worship team is going to be early in the morning at the Garden Tomb. We're serving at the Garden Tomb 9 o'clock in the morning next Sunday, and then right back here for our resurrection and first fruit service next Sunday night. So there's so many things going on. I want to bring our attention now, really, to the Word of God. Exodus chapter 11, let me open there. Verse 6 and 7. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, first of all, I hope that prophecy comes true this weekend, that I don't have to hear anybody's dog barking over Passover that would be great. We have a couple in the neighborhood that really like to talk to one another. I'm going to claim this verse. Can I do that? Is that out of context? Can I claim that verse? God, on Passover, among the Israelites, that's us, not a dog will bark. That'd be great. Everybody relax. I love dogs. They're fine. Cats, not so much. Um, Joanna, I love cats, relax. I know, I heard it coming from your side. I could feel it. She's like, Pastor Chad, if you want to do Passover with me online next week, you better love cats. Listen, this is an important time of the year because it's historically when God begins to separate Israel from their past and bring them into their future as a free people. It's a separation of the seasons. There will be a distinction and a distinguishing moment that marks this journey and the transformation. That is why it was so important for God to initiate the idea that when we came out of Egypt, it was a new year. That's why I greeted you with the new year last week. That's why in the next chapter, Exodus chapter 12, verse one and two, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Do you see? It was so important that when they were coming out of slavery into their future as free people, God had to mark that. That was a significant thing. And he marked it first with a new year. Now, there are many other markings we're going to talk about tonight, but first thing was it had to be a new year. It's a new beginning. It's a new life. It's a new journey. We see this same linkage with us being born again in the new covenant. It's new life to us. It's a new age. It's a new season of our life. John chapter three, verse three, Yeshua replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they be born again. You see, there's a, it's a new, a new day. And if you're in the house tonight and you haven't given your heart to Yeshua, let, let today be that day. Our prayer team's gonna be up here in just a few minutes. Come and talk to one of us. Maybe you're in the house tonight, you're watching online, maybe you, you've come to the Lord recently. It, it should have been a moment where you marked it with something significant. You can remember something of a new life beginning. When God rescues us, when we are saved from the slavery of sin, when we are brought into new life of freedom, that's a new era. And it should be marked with a new year. Something to be remembered. In most cases, many of us that have been in the Lord for a while, we can remember when we gave our heart to Yeshua. When we said yes to his gift of salvation and his blood atonement, we can remember that. It marks something, a personal testimony If you've never heard my testimony, I got saved. I gave my heart to the Lord when I was six years old at a summer youth camp. Pastor Wayne challenged us last week with the 414 and how many people, the large percentage of people that give their heart to Yeshua between the ages of four and 14. Was it 14? And it's an overwhelming amount, a vast majority. And I was one of those And I can remember things that marked that day. First of all, I was at summer camp. There was about 400 kids there. We'd been playing around all day long. But when the message was given in the evening after worship, I knew God was talking to me. And the pull of the Holy Spirit was so strong when they gave an altar call that night, something important happened, something that marked my life. I knew when he gave an altar call to... Invite people to give their heart to the Lord that I just knew half the, half the youth, were gonna, they were going to go up because it was so strong in, in the room. And I wanted to be first, so I ran down there. I, I went to the altar. There were some stairs, and I knelt down, and I began to pray, and I remember the speaker came, and he laid his hands on me and prayed for me that I might receive the Lord, and I did, and he res- prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, and I did. And I just knew that I was marking a new, a new sense of my life, even though I was young. And I knew that as soon as I opened my eyes, there would be just dozens of my friends up there. And when I opened my eyes, there was no one. I was the only one that went forward. But to me, that was important because it marked something for me. It marked something that I did not do that because of anyone else. I didn't do that because of peer pressure. I didn't do that because of an emotional response. I was responding to the Holy Spirit only. And it was, it was me being bold in my stance for the Lord. And it marked me, just like God marked the Israelites with a new year, and a new life, and a new journey, and a new beginning. These markings of Israel's freedom are parallel markings for our freedom in Yeshua. They, being the Israelites of the ancient times, they were saved by the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. Are we not saved by the blood of the Lamb on our hearts? You see, they went through the Red Sea collectively as one big unit. They went through the waters. Is that not a sign for us as we go through the waters of immersion? Wednesday, some of you are going to do it with us. We see linkage. You know, the water closed in after the Israelites went through safely. The water closed in, and it killed the Egyptian army pursuing them. Is there not a symbol there for us that the old life is now gone? There's no way to go back to it. Don't go back to it. And the enemies that pursued you, God will take care of them. He will close the water over them so worry not. The symbolism goes deep if you let it. There's a separation from our old life and our new life. You see, the Israelites found themselves free in the desert, but not yet with direction until they came to the mountain of the Lord, and then they found themselves at the mountain receiving the laws of God. You see, you can be saved by the blood, and you can Go through the waters of immersion to separate you from your old life and bring you into new life and yet you might not have direction yet. Go to the word of God. It will give you direction. It will tell you how to live. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. Do we not see symbolism for ourselves in that same moment? Where God brings them to the mountain and he brings us to the word? Moses is then called to release the covenant laws. We're similar. We come out of a sinful life, we repent, we accept the blood, we're washed, and we submit to God's laws and his kingdom. Remember with me for a moment the Passover meal, the original meal, and some of the important elements that were there. It says, take a lamb on the 10th day of Nisan, take it into your house, and then when you're ready to slaughter the lamb and put the blood on your doorposts, on the 14th day of Nisan, if that lamb is too big for you and your house, invite others in. You see, our life in the new covenant was always meant to be lived in community. It was never meant to be lived alone. And actually, you won't do it very well alone. But community, Passover shows us that new covenant life was meant to be lived together. We are far better together than we are alone. For more ways than we can count. And then there's another symbol here. The word of the Lord said, once you put the blood on the door and you are in the house, you stay in the house for the entire night. You do not come out of the house because if you come out of the house and you cross back through the blood, you are making yourself vulnerable to the death angel. You stay in the house. You stay in the commitment of God. You stay under the blood. You stay with community. You do not go out alone. It's the consistent message of the word of God. So you have the symbolism and the linkage from the ancient Israelites to us today. We are saved by the blood of the lamb. We go through the waters of immersion. We submit to the laws of God at the mountain. We live life together as a community, and we stay in the house. Consistent in your walk with the Lord. Not in and out. You stay in the house. You see the symbolism, it's deep if you let it go deep. And when we say yes to Yeshua's offer of salvation from sin, we understand, like the Israelites, that we cross a certain barrier. For the Israelites, the barrier was the Red Sea, but for us, it is the death to our old self and the way we used to live and the way we used to think. If you have your Bibles or your devices or you're taking notes, Romans chapter six. I want to read a selection from there, because we too cross an important barrier. Romans 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were immersed into Messiah Yeshua were immersed into his death? We were therefore buried with him through immersion into death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because, no, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. It's the imagery of crossing a barrier. It's the imagery of slavery to sin and death to self and our old ways. It's all there at the Passover. I don't think these things were lost on the Israelites. I don't think that they were walking around like, Moses, this is all so weird. Unleavened bread? Really? Yeah, there's a reason. We, remember, we had to leave quickly. Get the sin out of your life. The blood, yes, it's, it's God's sign. Freedom, we had to go through the, through the water of the Red Sea. Yes, there's freedom and it's gonna close over our enemies and it's gonna produce a barrier that we don't go back to our old life. Yes, there is so much symbolism. And it's very relevant for us today. And I believe that Moses and Aaron and Miriam and, and the Levites later, I think they got this and they were sharing a lot of it with the people. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in the Messiah, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Maybe you're listening tonight and you've come to the end of yourself. You don't have any more answers. You've tried everything and you can't find happiness. You can't find joy, purpose, or fulfillment. Listen, be courageous tonight. This is a room full of people. And most of us have said yes to Yeshua and we've had new life not because we figured it out because he figured it out and we just said yes to the gift that he gave to us. Salvation that of being saved by the blood of the lamb at Passover is corresponding with our salvation as you know, and it marks a new creation and a new birth, a new day and a new way of living. The Israelites had to learn how to live a new life. Quick survey. Perfect people in the house, if you'll just raise your hand real quick. See, that's always important to say. I know it seems silly, but you know how important that is? Because if there's someone in the room who is a baby believer, maybe they're young in their faith, maybe they haven't given their heart to Yeshua yet, and they're thinking, man, I'm intimidated. There's a room full of these holy, righteous people. No, it is not. This is not a room full of holy and righteous and perfect people. We're holy and righteous because God made us that way, but not holy and righteous because of what we do. So if you're new to the faith and you're not sure how to handle that comment, just realize that we know we're not perfect. We know you're not perfect. So let's just do it together this new life in the Messiah, but Israel had to learn how to live a new life. They didn't just automatically come out of Egypt. Read the text, and and it'll show you that they didn't just automatically know how to do it all. There was bickering, and there was fighting. Bickering. It's a great word. I just taught my kids that word this week. I did. Because I felt like there there was a moment where the word I needed to teach them wasn't fitting any other word. They weren't arguing. They weren't fighting, right? They weren't hitting one another. They know they get in trouble for all of that. But there was still a little bit of jibber-jabber. I don't know what, I don't know. Sorry if English is not your first language. So I, I was like, oh, bickering. They were bicker, They were just little, little bites, little, nah, nah, you know, and then I would step in and, dad, I didn't, dad, I didn't say he was stupid. Well, I know you didn't go that far, but you're still not being gracious. You're still not saying kind things. You're still not giving words of life. I, I need you to move out of that into this words of life. So is a little bickering. So I taught my kids that. I sat them down and I taught them, listen, even bickering is not acceptable. We do not do that. We do not complain. We do not call people names. We're not rude. You know, we went through, And we don't bicker. So today, the youngest one, the four-year-old, comes in to my office, I was preparing some notes, and she comes to my office, knocks on my door. I said, "Mayani, yes, what do you need? Dad, you gotta come out here. And I, I just know, I can feel it, something funny. Daddy, you gotta come out here. Why do I need to come out there? Because those two older ones are bickering. <laughs> It's great. The good news is she used it in context. That was really good. You know, the Israelites didn't just automatically know what to do and how to live. They had to, they had to grow into the new life. Let me give you our first key phrase of the night. After coming to Yeshua, the new way of life can take time to become natural. That is why we have grace and patience with one another. Can I hear an Amen. We learned that from Passover. They had the freedom to make their own decisions, but now they were instructed to make good ones according to the laws of God. They were also not just living for their own survival anymore. Israel had and still has an important role to play in sharing the reality of God with the world. But they had to learn that. They didn't, they didn't automatically get that just because the Red Sea worked. You know what I mean? They had to grow into new life and new character and and following the lead of the Lord and learning the laws and loving one another more than themselves. They had to learn these things and they had to learn that they as a peoplehood were no longer living just for their own survival. They were living to help save the world. It was a tall task, but they had to learn that. And we as new covenant believers, we have new things we have to learn as well. So I've walked you through several parallels of the Passover, deliverance, salvation, new life. We also see parallels of Yeshua being our Passover lamb, the symbolism of his blood atonement. First, we know that Yeshua was executed in the Passover holiday season right? The text is very clear. When it was happening, they just had a Passover meal. They went out to the Mount of Olives to sing hymns. Why did they do that? Because in the Passover, one of the traditions is you end it with hymns. It was a very Jewish thing to do. We know it's in the Passover season. They were trying to hurry things up before the holiday arrived. The fake trial in the middle of the night. You know all this. So Yeshua's sacrifice is linked not only symbolically with Passover, but literally with Passover. Second, John the immerser, John the Baptist, his cousin, called Yeshua the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." John chapter 129. The next day John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, "Look, the lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Greek there is Amnos. It means lamb, not another animal. There's lots of other words that could have been used, but it was lamb. Very clear that John chose that. Of all the things he could have called Yeshua. It was the lamb of God that stood out. He didn't call him the goat. That means a different thing in today's vernacular, by the way. He is the goat. Only the Americans got that. Everybody else, go look it up. Google it tonight. Goat, in English, acronym means greatest of all time. So yes, you can call him that. But that's not what John called him. He didn't call him the goat of God. It doesn't have a ring to it. He didn't call him a ram. The ram of God. It rhymes, but no. Ram and lamb. He didn't call him the heifer. Because who wants to be called a heifer? The lamb of God. On purpose, with intentionality, with prophetic connection, he knew what he was doing. This concept of the lamb was, that was coming to save us is very consistent in the scriptures. Abraham knew about it. Genesis 22:8. Remember, Abraham is taking his son Isaac to be sacrificed for the Lord, at least so he thought. And Abraham answered a question when Isaac said, Father, I see we have all the supplies, but we don't have the actual sacrifice. Abraham answered, "God Himself will provide the lamb." In Hebrew, the say, the lamb." Very specific word chosen for the burnt offering, my son, and the two of them went on together. Revelation 7:17. 7, "For the lamb, and Arnion, it means a little lamb, like a baby lamb. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. We see the repetition that Yeshua is referred to as the lamb. That symbolism with the Passover lamb. Remember, at Yom Kippur, there's a whole different concept happening. It's it's the goats, the two goats. But at Passover, it's the lamb. Did you notice in Revelation 7 that Yeshua is both the lamb and the shepherd? He gets to be both. This is similar to the book of Hebrews that tells us that Yeshua is both the sacrificed lamb and the high priest. So what does that teach you? If he's the shepherd protecting the sheep and then he becomes one of the lambs and then he gives himself up to be sacrificed but then he's the high priest that does the sacrificing, you might say, then Where in this whole process do I fit in? You don't. He does everything for you from the beginning to the end. And he offers salvation to you for you just to receive it by faith. It'll change your life. It's a free gift that'll cost you everything, but you just receive it. He takes care of you from beginning to end. there was one reference to a lamb, this particular study, that caught my attention differently than it's ever caught my attention before. Can I ask you to turn with me as we start to move to our last main point tonight, Isaiah 53. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts on this before the worship team comes back out. Isaiah 53 verse 6, this one caught my attention differently than normal. Isaiah 53, 6, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of course, we see this connecting with Hebrews and Revelation that Yeshua being a lamb. Here, we are all called sheep. Sheep that have done our own thing and gone our own way and tried to find out a way of eternal life and righteousness on our own, and we can't find it on our own. Yet Yeshua, coming in the form of humanity, was called a lamb. And you might say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, he was showing us that he came in the same form. Do you understand? It was important that we were called sheep, and then he's called a lamb. Because now we're linked He came in our form. He had to to come in a body that that would relate with us and what we went through and what we would feel. And he had to be sacrificed in the same form for which we had become the sinners. So he had to be linked in human form like we were being described. And that's why the Bible describes it that way, that we were sheep going our own way, but he came and got into our form to save us from what we had done. All we like sheep have gone astray. But he has taken our iniquities. Look at the next verse. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. There it is. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There's that lamb-sheep connection again. He was like one of us. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep to be sheared. What's important about this lamb and this sheep is it says he did not open his mouth. He was silent. It says it twice. He was silent. And that's what caught my attention this time. The silent lamb. That's what we've we've entitled tonight's message. The silent lamb. Matthew 27 verse 31 gives us this new covenant reference. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. They let him out to be crucified. You know, Yeshua was stripped. Just like a lamb, when you, when you shear that, that sheep, he, he's, he's naked, he's stripped, he doesn't have his wool. He, he's laid bare. That's the image we're supposed to get when Yeshua was humiliated in front of everyone. But the main point is that through all of this, Everything Yeshua went through from the accusations to the lies to the schemes and the plans to the beatings and the whippings and the mocking, he didn't open his mouth. He stayed silent and that's what grabbed my spirit until, and I just sat there and I'm like, Holy Spirit, I know you need to say something. And finally the the Lord just broke through within a few minutes The main point, why was he silent? While Yeshua was being accused, beaten, whipped, and nailed, he stayed silent. Let me read Matthew 27, 11 through 14. Meanwhile, Yeshua stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Yeshua replied. I noticed he wouldn't even say yes. He wouldn't even respond by saying it himself. He says, you said it. And the Holy Spirit said, pay attention to that. That's part of the being silent. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Yeshua made no reply, three times. Not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. His silence caught Pilate's attention. Three times he didn't answer. Even when he said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, well, you said it, not me. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And the Holy Spirit was saying something very important. What was he saying? Why was he silent? Why could he not simply just speak the truth? Let me give you our second key phrase of the night. If Yeshua had spoken when accused, he would have changed the intended course of salvation. If he had spoken, he would have changed the course. And he knew it. You see, he knew the power in his own words. He had to be very careful. There are times in history where he speaks and everything listens to him. When he wanted to create the world, he did so with his words. That's how powerful he is. That's why he has to watch his words very carefully. If he wants to create the universe, he just says what he wants. And when he's being falsely accused, he had to be careful because if he would have spoken truth, it would have trumped everything that was going on. It would have abolished their plan. It would have destroyed the process and the journey to the cross. And he didn't want to stop the intended destiny and calling. And he had no other choice but to keep his mouth closed because if he had let power come out, it would have changed the course. That's why he had to stay silent. It wasn't because he didn't know what to say. It wasn't because he couldn't think of a good zinger to bring back to him. It was because he knew his calling. And if he had said anything out loud of truth, it would have just crumbled all of the path and the journey that had been leading up to that moment in universal history. Yeshua needed to die for us, and he knew that. Pilate's wife had already...